There were a lot of big matches this past week in the Schmodown, including a controversial call and a big-time rivalry match. Hello and welcome to Repeat the Question. This is your one-stop shop for everything related to the world of the movie trivia Schmodown. I'm David Sackrader, and we're going to kick things off today first with a little bit of news, this time pertaining to the upcoming team's tournament. It was announced on SEN Live that team's matches are planned to continue and that there is an eight-team team tournament on the docket uh, for the end of this season. But first, the current single, or excuse me, the current team's title path that was planned pre-quarantine is still going to take place, albeit with a few minor adjustments. Corruption is still going to get their title match against the Founding Fathers that they earned after their win over the family earlier this season. And then the winner of that um, will face the the bottom half of the title path here. It shows Shazam taking on the pride for a spot in a number one contender match against who's the boss, the winner of which will face whoever's the champion at the time, be that Founding Fathers or corruption. Uh, originally this was, there was a long drown out drawn out version of this where the pride would have to play a final exam before they played Shazam, before they got the, uh, number one contender option. But, uh, as of right now with the information provided to us, that is not the case. It's going to be Shazam against the pride. Um, given that the pride was able to get two matches in uh, before the quarantine hit. And so they are going to get the the option against Shazam for who gets to play in that number one contender match. Um, beyond that, uh, the chairman, Christian Harloff, did announce on Twitter that he did figure out how to get teams working virtually. Initially, uh, these matches were be, were planned to be played in th- inside of a theater. But with the addition of virtual matches, that does open the door uh, for final exam to potentially compete for other teams that aren't necessarily local to potentially compete. So... This is the current title path as it's set right now, but it, it it could change going forward. And it also could affect uh, how many teams or which teams we see in the team's tournament. As it stands right now, as I said earlier, it's going to be an eight-team team's tournament uh, to follow the, the end of the current title path, the winner of which will obviously get the chance to, to fight for the title at the Schmodown Spectacular in December. In other news, Ben Bateman announced on Schmodown Backstage uh, yesterday that he will be sitting out of the singles tournament this season uh, due to scheduling conflicts with his number one contender match. He said that playing in the number one contender match would make it impossible for him to also uh, compete in the tournament. And so he will, the Finstock Exchange will not be able to use up his spot in the tournament uh he will not be using up one of their spots in the tournament i should say this is coming straight from ben bateman uh nothing here or there uh from christian harloff so 
there's nothing confirmed to say that whoever wins out of Kalinowski or, or guy to play Bateman is also going to be in the same situation. But as it stands right now, Ben Bateman has, has announced that he's, he is sitting out of the singles tournament and, and there is a, a possibility that he's champion at the time anyway. So he may not, he may have been sitting out either way. It's hard to tell, but there is a current singles title path in place that has Bateman contending for a title. He's one match away. So anything uh, could happen with that, but it's not like the Finstock exchange is hurting for talent at the moment. Um, When you look at who the exchange can put into this tournament, they have an enormous amount of talent. And let's just set aside John Roca, Dan Merle and Ben Bateman, because they're all challenging for the title before uh, the tournament takes place. you look at Gray Drake, who is a, a former contender in the team's division, could possibly make a run in the singles division under the right management. And uh, we've seen in the past that, that Gucci knows how to manage um, singles and teams competitors. So there's a possibility there. There's Cody Hall, who um, has played in a minor amount, amount of matches, but he is a fan favorite. So there's the, there's the possibility of them going with him. What I think are more likely is we'll see probably Mark Riley, the former singles champ compete. We'll probably say, see, um, rookie sensation, the barbarian compete. I actually, um, I actually think the person that's most likely to take Bateman's spot is probably the barbarian. And, um, if you needed a dominant points getter to replace Ben Bateman, then that's the one to do it. But also rookie free agent, Sabrina Ramirez was signed in order to play singles and teams. So I would imagine that either in the team's tournament or in the singles tournament, she's going to get her shot, but this isn't to discredit the fact that, um, Ben Bateman has elected to sit out of the singles tournament. And I mean, it's disappointing as a fan, because the tournament season is, is Bateman's bread and butter. He's best as a player uh, during tournament season. He has, in his career since his debut in 2017, he hasn't finished any lower than a semifinalist in both singles and teams tournaments. That's huge. And I mean, you're talking about guys, a guy that's gone on incredible runs. He went on that run with Who's the Boss? In 2016, he went on that run, or excuse me, in 2018, he went on that run last year uh, for the singles title in which he won the belt in in the same night against both Paul Oyama and William Bibiani. So, you know, it's unfortunate to not see him make another tournament run, but if he's the champion at the time, then we wouldn't have seen him either way. So, who knows? He's definitely my favorite competitor. So he's um, making this announcement was something that I was bummed to hear. But it, either way, um, continue to cheer for him and continue to root for him. That wraps up the news segment here on this sh- on uh, this first part of the show. But um, be sure to check out rtqpodcast.com for any and all news updates. Uh, the website is constantly up to date with information. So as you're waiting for the show to come out every week, we're always going to recap the, the latest news here. But 
Yeah, for all breaking news, be sure to check out rtqpodcast.com, especially if anything changes with these teams tournaments, with these singles tournaments. Um, that's going to be a great place to find all of your information all in one place. So now let's move in on to the actual matches. And, you know, I tend to go in order of... Um, in order of the match release. So the Star Wars match happens on Wednesday. That's the one I talk about first. And in this case, the juiciest match is the Star Wars match. And that's the one that comes first. So Andrew, the Hunter Dimolanta took on Magic Molly Damon. And we're, I'm just going to talk about it right up, right up top as far as the um, Tiderium conversation is concerned, because that's, that's the thing with this match. It, and it kind of sucks that that's what this is. This match is relegated to because it was a phenomenal match outside of this one controversial call, but you know, calls happen and, uh, you know, with a controversial call, there's always going to be a debate. And, and I think there's an important conversation to be had with this one. When you look at Andrew Dimolanta's answer, Let's just look at the facts as, as we, as we take the, the top level of this conversation, we'll look at just the facts. He says Tiderium correctly, or at least I perceived him to say Tiderium correctly. I can understand the confusion, but I think that in his initial answer, he says Tiderium. He's asked to spell it by Christian Harloff as a judge, uh, to make sure that he heard him correctly which, you know, I'll get into specifics on that in a minute, but um, could have been handled better. But ultimately, that's what what he was asked to do. So when he spells it, he spells it incorrectly. Therefore, he gets the question wrong. Andrew Dimolanta does. That's just the baseline, the facts of what happened. Let's not not going into the um, what should have happened, um, what could have happened. This is the, at the very baseline, this is what happened. He answered it one way. He was asked to clarify. He answered it a different way. So I know that Andrew Dimolanta gets, he is, he's on record as saying that he has trouble, um, spelling in public, that it's an insecurity of his. So I'm not going to like, you know, disparage the guy for having bad spelling. But like, I think that in general for any competitor that's in this position, if you're asked to clarify your answer, don't, um, don't panic and try to change up what you were trying to say. Just stick with the initial answer. Um, and I know in this case, that's not quite what he was able to do because he was having trouble spelling it in his head. Um, and so his, his answer was different than what he said initially, but, um, you're never going to get the answer ruled in your favor if you change your answer upon clarification, which is, which is kind of what happened to him here. The other thing is, is, is really how this question should have gone down. He's asked the question. He gives the answer. It's kind of ambiguous. I can understand where somebody might have heard uh, Tiderion. I can understand where they might not have heard Tiderion correctly, out of Dimolanta's mouth. So I think that Christian Harloff is doing what he can to make sure that Dimolanta gets the points. What he's focused on in this moment is 
is ultimately for Dimolanta's best interests. He's asking him to spell it so that he makes sure that he heard him correctly. Obviously, there's a better way of handling this. The, uh, the number one choice would have just been to ask him to repeat it, but then you run into the risk of um, you don't hear him correctly again or you're not looking for the right thing. The other option, and this, is, this one has problems with it too, is you just ask him for the last letter because you knew that was the problem you were having anyway. That was the issue. Just asking for the last letter um, wasn't M or an N, or even don't even go that far. Just just say what letter does that uh, word end in? Just so I know it's still a spelling question, but it at least takes a little bit more of the pressure off of it and gets to the root of of what you need to know to be able to make an accurate ruling as a judge. And obviously, that opens the door up for an easy steal. But I think that. I would rather have the opportunity for the competitor to get the question right and also open the door up for an easy steal because that stuff can be challenged and taken care of after the fact. But um, a blown call like this just creates a larger controversy. The other thing is, you know, moving away from, from Christian Harloff, who honestly you know, was pit, put in a lose-lose situation. I empathize with the guy because ultimately, um, what are you going to do? Uh, it's a live setting. It's not like he has time to really think about, you know, how is he going to make sure that Dimolanda clarifies it without giving something away to Molly Damon? And, you know, it's a tough spot, but ultimately, you know, the one he chose wasn't the right one, but I can see why he made that decision in the, in the heat of the moment. And I think that going forward, the the precedent needs to be set that they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that the person whose question it is um, has every opportunity to get the point. And then if it makes it easier for the person stealing, deal with the challenge, deal with that challenge on its own accord. But but don't be worried about the steal preemptively because then you create a situation like this. The next layer of this issue is, uh, I think that Tom Dagnino made the wrong challenge in this situation. He's trying to make a challenge about the whiteboard and how he should have been able to write it down, but I don't think there's any rule that's preventing him from writing it down. Uh, he had the right whiteboard right with him. So if he wanted to write it down, he probably could have. And even still, he was like writing it out on his hand. So, um, you know, I'm not trying to fault Andrew DiMolanta for, for spelling it wrong here or anything like that. But um, I think Dagnino's challenge should have been that asking the clarification question made it too obvious for Molly Damon what the answer was. Um, similar to what we saw with the Harold Errol stuff uh, earlier this season, um, that's a winnable challenge. And it, it, and it at least gives her a different question to steal, which creates a situation where uh, she's not able to get the steal and then it's, it's not a, a loss as far as Dimolanta is concerned. So I think that uh, Dagnino in the heat of the moment too, all, he also kind of bungled it. And the final layer to this, this whole thing 
outside of um, the judge's ruling, outside of uh, Dagnino's performance as a manager. The, the final layer is that I listened to the scene in the movie before I recorded this, this episode today, and it's pronounced both ways. I understand the way that it's spelled ends with an M, but uh, it sounds like Tiderian when it's pronounced in the film. Like Han Solo will say it and he'll say it Tiderium with an M sound, but then the Imperial officer will say it back to him and it definitely sounds like it has an N sound. So in that case, obviously that's challengeable too, is that, Hey, in the movie, this is how it's pronounced. Um, so I know that that's something that, you know, you would have had to have watched the movie the day before to like, to have picked up on that challenge, or you had had to have been looking for it to have picked up on that challenge. But I think, you know, if this question ever gets asked again, I think both should be acceptable because they're both in the movie. Even if Tiderium is technically more correct because it was a mispronunciation, you know, the second time in the movie or whatever, doesn't mean that it's not a quote unquote canon that uh, Tiderian is a pronunciation. I don't know, but um, moving forward, a good heel knows how to capitalize on a bad situation, and I will continue to harp on this podcast that Brandon Hanna is a very good heel as he steps out uh, never to allow a good situation to go to waste. He posts on Twitter, like this tweet, if you know the difference between N and M, I'm trying to see something. Uh, just let the record show that he got 58 likes on that. So 58 people know the difference between those two letters of the alphabet. Um, You know, this is a great heel move. We've seen it in the past with both John Roca and Mike Kalinowski. Um, They, they see a situation to insert themselves and they do it because like nobody needed to hear Brandon Hanna's take on this situation. Nobody wanted to hear Brandon Hanna's take on this situation, but that's what makes it so great is because he inserts himself into the conversation on this uh, particular moment and people hate him because of that. He, you know, you garner that anger. Like, of course you needed to speak up about this. He posted another picture on Twitter. Um, you know, there was other controversy in this match where Andrew Dimolanta wrote absolute instead of absolutes, which is the line only a Sith deals in absolutes. Um, and so he also posted a picture that was like showing the whiteboards and showing the actual line with the subtitle from the movie. Um, you know, I think that Sam Levine, while we're on this topic of the absolute thing, I think that that's something that Sam Levine could have challenged, but I think that Molly Damon probably asked him to back off on the challenges. And so he was looking at this from a perspective of, I'll let my competitor tell tell me when to challenge or nobody picked up on it, which could have happened too. Um, both are, are completely possible. So, uh, but you get one call to go your way. That means the next one doesn't go your way. So, you know, Dimbalanta got the absolutes call. Does that mean that he doesn't get the Tiderium call? If, if, if the, uh, 
the hands of fate are moving that way. I don't know, but it seems to be how it worked in this match. And all that, and we haven't even gotten to the match yet. So let's talk about the actual nitty gritty. What actually happened in this match? Well, in round one, it was 11 to 10 Demolanta uh, after Molly Damon missed the bonus to make the score 11 to 10. Um, it was a number of films Yoda has appeared in question. That's a tough question off the top of your head. Um, to, to count them like that, it's difficult. So it's an understandable miss. Um, but in the Star Wars League, you know, one, two misses could be the end of it. Then in round two, you know, um, controversy aside, Dimolanta officially on the record goes four of five in Return of the Jedi for eight points and relinquishes that two point steal to Molly Dateman. Molly Damon follows that up by going four of five in Phantom Menace for eight points as well, relinquishing a one-point steal to Andrew DeMolanta. That ties the score at 20 apiece heading into round three. So DeMolanta hits his two. Damon hits her two. DeMolanta hits his three. Um, and then Molly Damon misses her three and her five. And that's all she wrote for the match. Your final score in the first one here, Andrew Dimolanta, 25, Magic Molly Damon, 22. Uh, it's a tough showing for Molly Damon because she goes 16 of 20, 800 accuracy rate. Most games, that's enough to win. But Dimolanta, 947 accuracy rate. And he only misses the one question with the questionable call. Um, so, you know, I think that as we reevaluate the tournament, Dimolanta is probably the odds on favorite to win his match, whether that's Laura Kelly or it's Andres Ace Cabrera. As we look at the brackets here, Dimolanta moves on. He's going to face the winner of Laura Kelly or Andres Ace Cabrera. And it's an interesting match. It's a really interesting match. Um, and I can see it kind of, I can see it going both ways because as, as something I'll talk about closer to the end of this show is that this is a big week in that there are a lot of heavy favorites and somebody's going to get upset. Because you can't have three matches in a row where there are pretty obvious favorites and not have one of them lose. So I don't know that it's going to be Laura Kelly. I think that Laura Kelly moves on to face Dimolanta. We get that rematch. It really allowed Dimolanta to avenge his losses. If, if, this, uh, if this tournament is Dimolanta's revenge tour, quote unquote, then he's, he's definitely getting his revenge because he gets the win over Joseph Scrimshaw to start who beat him at star Wars celebration. He's going to, he gets the win over Molly Damon. If he's able to get the win over Laura Kelly, that's somebody else who's beat him in the past. And then if he takes the belt off Alex Damon, he's the champion and completes the revenge tour. So, 
A lot of interesting storyline potential stuff with him. I'm really excited to see him keep going. Molly Damon was my pick to win the whole thing. So at this point, I, I'm allowed to rechoose um, with the options that are left. I think that Andrew DeMolanta stands the best chance to win the whole thing. I think that Laura Kelly stands a high chance to win the whole thing. But I wouldn't count on Ace either. I think that if Ace goes all the way, it could be really interesting too. And and what a Cinderella story that would make. If we we bring up that bracket just for a second. Um, Ace is the eight seed in this bracket. He gets the play-in match because he's, you know, in that bottom tier of competitor who hadn't competed yet in the Star Wars division. He was the only one that hadn't, him and Josh Cavado were the only ones that hadn't competed in the Star Wars division yet. An eight seed going all the way to the finals is crazy, um, especially because he beat who I can only assume is the one seed in Ken Knapsack. I don't know necessarily if Ken Knapsack deserved to be the one seed in this tournament. But just based on how tournaments generally are are matched up and seeded, um, it would stand to reason that that Ken Napsack earning that 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 first round buy would be uh, the one seed. So then he beats another high seeded person in Laura Kelly. If he's able to beat Andrew DeMolanta, if he's able to earn the belt, that's another storyline that's that's really exciting, really exciting to think about. It'll be really exciting to watch. Um, you know, if I'm rooting for what makes the best story, then Ace is definitely my dark horse favorite to win the whole thing at this point. Um, anything's possible. And the Star Wars tournament has, has kind of kind of held so far. I think that most predictions were seen as uh, as having what we've got to this point. So who knows? It might be high time for an upset. So with that out of the way, we're going to move on to our next match of the week. The second match of the week saw Eric Zipper of the Dungeon taking on Emily Rose Jacobson of the Finstock Exchange. And the first thing I want to talk about with this match was the promos. Um, right off the gate, we saw the return of the cutscenes, and like I'm super stoked about that. You know, the the storylines, not just like the sports storylines of like, oh, they were a down and out, you know, team at the start of the season, but they rallied back from behind. I'm talking more like the uh, the narrative of the showdown, the like. Uh, you know, the big level events like the new core or the corruption teams tournaments, those sorts of things um, all happen through cutscenes for the most part. Obviously they happen through matches too, but, but the big thing, the way the narrative is told is through cutscenes. And while this one is nothing of, of note, I don't think it's anything of real consequence as far as the, the main storylines of this season. It's nice to see their return. It's nice to see that they're possible. It's nice to see that they might reappear in another match in the future. Uh, something with a little bit more consequence, a little bit more weight to it as far as, as what we're building toward at the end of the season, which may be nothing because of um, the way of the world right now. But at any rate, as we keep 
moving through this season, I would expect to see more of them. And the other thing on the promo side that was really exciting to see was the return of Finstock. Tom Dagnino in this virtual setting where he's allowed to just like wander the streets and record himself has, has made some of my favorite promos this season. And that's even before, like that's before he put on the mask in this episode. Um, they did the pre-match promo. Um, and, and one of the first thing you see is that he's like going to, to like do a raid on the dungeon or something like that. And he, he, goes the camera pans to this homemade sign that says the dumb gin like d-u-m-b dash g-e-o-n um i really got a kick out of that like that humor is right up my alley i i I can't describe it other than like awesome (laughs) like i laughed out loud when i saw it and like just i don't know shirtless Finstock wandering through the streets, spouting out about nonsense is, is, is just exactly what his character needed. And the other thing his character needed is the return of the mask. Man, I am so excited to see the Finstock mask return. Uh, even if we're not getting that full character, even if it's just going to be Tom Dagnito in the mask, I am in, you know, that mask has, has, has brought some of the biggest schmodown moments. Uh, one of my favorite moments of all time was the Finn Draco match where Josh McCuga was set to take on Tom Dagnito and it's really Mark and Draco in the Finstock mask. Like those are the sorts of things that made me fall in love with the Schmodown. And I, I wish we could get more of those. I wish we could get more players with like secret identities so that like you could pull these kind of shenanigans where it's like four people under the mask or something like that. Um, I want to see that again in the Schmodown. And I like the sports feel of it. And I know that when you're going more full tilt sport that you're going to lose some of that, uh, zaniness, but the storyline stuff is what makes us the Schmodown great. And so I, I want to see more stuff leaned into that. And the mask encapsulates that sentiment. So I guess it's about time we move into the actual match now after we get done talking about the importance of the Finstock mask. And it's not to be understated. I I want to make that clear, and I hope that I have, is that the Finstock mask is very important to the the Schmodown as a whole. But as we look at round one, it was eight to four zipper at the end of round one. I think both players had a little bit of a slow start. Um, eight to four is not great by inner geekdom standards, but it certainly makes a competitive match. I mean, it's a four point deficit is tough to, to come out of in round one as round one sets the kind of precedent for the rest of the match, but it's not impossible, especially when you spin spinner's choice, which is what Emily Rose Jacobson does after zipper defers, she spins gets MCU off the spinner's choice and then goes three of five for four points and gives up a two point two one point steals, excuse me to zipper. And, you know, before you harp on Emily Rose Jacobson for this, they were some tough MCU questions. There was that question about, um, what does the guy who said, who killed, 
Eric Erkstein say right before he takes the cyanide or, or something to that effect? Um, that's a tough question because like I figured it was probably Hill Hydra, but then you think about the fact that then she goes multiple choice. And I'm like, Oh, does he say six Semper Tyrannus? Cause that would be kind of cool. And like, way out there and like maybe he wasn't ready to reveal he was hydra or like something i don't know but these were all the things going through my mind with with that question alone and that just speaks to the specificity of mcu obviously because a lot of the competitors have mcu as a strength and so i think that that slice comes up a lot and obviously that means that the uh questions are going to get just deeper and deeper and deeper so Three of five isn't great. Obviously, four points isn't great, but that's not to say that this wasn't a tough MCU category. That's not to say that, like, you know, it was a bad performance, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But following that up, Zipper spins opponent's choice. He's dealt Middle Earth, and he goes four, for, four of five in Middle Earth for eight points, giving up just the one-point steal. And look, you know, did he go four or five for eight points? Yes. So does it look in hindsight like a bad choice to give him Middle Earth? Yes. I I mean, in hindsight's 2020, obviously. He got eight points in the round. You didn't want him to get eight points in the round. So, you know, it's unfortunate that that's what happened when he spun Middle Earth, but he has had a bad history with Middle Earth. It's not a bad gameplay decision. Obviously, the smarter gameplay decision would have been to give him a who said it or a scores and soundtracks or something like that. Um, but given his past history, if you're studying Eric Zipper as the player, if you're assuming that he hasn't improved or you're assuming that even though he's studying, he's not going to be that much better. Um, it probably pays off for you nine times out of 10. In this case, Eric Zipper looks like a different player. And that's something I'll talk about again uh, as we conclude. But the score was 18 to nine in favor of Zipper heading into round three. And, you know, nearly a knockout just barely avoids the knockout, but uh, Emily Rose Jacobson hits her two, but misses her three and she needed to hit all of them in order to avoid the TKO. So zipper wins 18 to 11 by TKO is your final. Uh, it's a really strong showing by Eric zipper. 14 of 17, 824 accuracy rate, 818 possible points earned. Um, it's a really, really strong showing for him. And honestly, I haven't seen what Mike Kalinowski looks like yet, but an upset could happen. Yeah, I, I predict, as I'll, I'll reiterate throughout the show, that this upcoming week, one of the three matches, we're going to see an upset, whether that's Ace beating Laura Kelly, whether that's Greg Alba beating Mike Kalinowski, or whether that's Ben Goddard beating uh, Robert Parker, but one of those three, the upset is going to happen. And I think that, you know, it could be interesting. The other thing is, as we look inwards, 
Eric Zipper is probably going to face Mike Kalinowski. Uh, assuming the upset doesn't happen, I think that Kalinowski could be upset by Zipper just based on his performance in this match. And look, I have Kalinowski in the final four of this tournament. Like, you know, we don't do the, the, you know, the ESPN tournament brackets for, for this, but I wouldn't want to say that, you know, my bracket got busted and sure it's already been busted by some matches already, but I don't want to say that, you know, Mike Kalinowski got bumped out in round two and didn't make it to the final four. So, uh, but I, I don't know. Eric Zipper just showed enough for me. And it's a similar thing with Chance Ellison, as I'll talk about in the next match, is he showed enough for me too. So Zipper looks stronger. He just does. The other thing, I kind of talked about it mixed in with the match, but this was just a tough match for Emily Rose Jacobson. The, the bottom line is it's a tough match, but it's not as bad as it looks. Sure, it's a TKO, um, but I think she's improving every match, which is definitely important. Uh, obviously, she got burned by her opponent's studying, which is something she can't control. Um, she got burned by a, a much, much dif- more difficult MCU category. And I think she got burned by her manager. This was something... Uh, you know, I didn't come up with this idea on my own. I was listening to the rundown and, and, and they were kind of talking about it. And I think they hit the nail on the head. Like Finstock is a legendary manager. He's a good manager for a reason, but I don't know if he's the best manager for an up and coming inner geekdom competitor. I think the best manager for an up and coming inner geekdom competitor is probably Koi Chandru. It's probably, you know, maybe Winston Marshall. It's somebody with an inner geekdom focus who you know, can really help somebody specialize in that area. You look at what Koi's been able to do with the real rejects to this point. I mean, I don't think anybody saw them, saw both of them winning their matches. And even if they're not able to, to continue on and win the, the, the set of matches after the ones they've already played, um, you know, getting the two wins off of them is, is still huge. Getting the KO, uh, for Greg Alba is huge. And I think part of that's got to be Koi Jandrew's management. So if I'm Evelie Rose Jacobson, I'm going to Koi in the off season saying, Hey, sign me. Hey, draft me, do what you got to do, but I want to be on your team because I think that that's how she stands the best way of succeeding. You know, she needs a manager that's going to, to help her with the game and help her improve with the game. And um, there are some great strategy minds in the Finstock exchange, but they're just not getting it done for her. And it's, I don't think it's her best interest to stay with them. Despite the fact that, you know, they're the best faction or they're, and they're winning or whatever. I don't think it's in her best interest to, to develop as a competitor under their tutelage. And maybe, you know, even if it's a Shannon Barney might be a, a smarter place for her to go next season because uh, she can also learn from a Mike Kalinowski or a Chance Ellison. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't think that Dagnino is the right 
manager for intergeekdom talent. Uh, every manager is going to have their strengths and, and Dagnino's just simply isn't intergeekdom. So moving on to our next match, this match was probably the one that I was most excited for coming into this week. Uh, obviously I knew Demolanta Damon was going to be a big match, but there's a history with this one. It's chance Ellison taking on Paulo Yama, both former family leaguers, both former champions in other divisions. I was just super excited uh, to see this match. I think because I knew the caliber of player we were getting in this match. And with that caliber of player meant uh, the potential for something really great. The one thing I wanted to, to hit on before the actual match is the promos in this match were awesome. I love it when the promos focus on the history of this, the two competitors when the promos focus on why the match matters. Uh, a lot of the promos in the past, this season have been, you know, managers talking, players talking, and that's not as interesting as the, you know, the shots of Paul beating Oyama or Paul beating chance, the shots of, Oyama winning the belt, you know, those sorts of things. And the other thing that, um, you know, goes into that is obviously not every match has history. Not every match is a rivalry match. Not every competitor has been in the league long enough to have played, uh, other people enough to have a reason to have a lot of, a lot of, uh, historic precedent in their promo. But, uh, man, it was just a, such a nice change of pace to see that in this match. So then as we get into the actual match itself, we saw, um, at the end of round one, it was an 11 to 11 tie. And, you know, it was like that feeling I had going into the match that, uh, this one could be another Dimolantis Grimshaw that this one could go down to sudden death, that this one could go down to the wire. And obviously the, the match doesn't play out that way, but there was just this feeling. And so that feeling obviously subsided by the time we got to round two, uh, chance Ellison spun first. He got middle earth. He goes four of five in that category for seven points and relinquishes a one point steal to Paulo Yama. Then Oyama goes, he spins opponent's choice. He's given Star Wars and he goes three of five in that category for four points, giving up three points off two steals to Chance Ellison. Chance Ellison made uh, an interesting gameplay decision here that I thought was worth noting. Um, Chance elected to give Paul the category that he had been studying most recently. Uh, I thought that was interesting. You know, you know, Paul is somebody who is making his debut in the division. So, um, you know, he could have stuck him with a who said it, but I, I mean, obviously star Wars paid off big time for him. So it was the smart, uh, in hindsight, it's the smart decision to make, but, uh, yeah, it could have backfired big time. It was definitely a risky move. 
uh, by chance. And I think he probably should have stuck him with a who said it or something of the like instead. Nevertheless, as we head into round three, the score is 21 to 16 in favor of chance. And then Oyama hits his two and his three to avoid the TKO chance hits his two to send it back to Oyama who misses his five, making the final score 23 to 21 in favor of chance. Allison Allison just misses the one question for the 947 accuracy rate. 885 possible points earned and chance Ellison has the potential to make a run in this tournament. I kind of wrote him off earlier this season, but I don't see why he couldn't make a run in the tournament. I don't see why um, he couldn't beat Robert Parker. I kind of alluded to it previously, but I'm, I'm going to say it out right here. Either Eric zipper or chance Ellison are going to win their round two matchups. And just for the sake of the conversation, let's assume they're playing Robert Parker and let's assume they're playing Mike Kalinowski. So that would see Ellison and Parker and Kalinowski and zipper. I don't think that it's like, statistically right to say that they'll they'll both win but i think that uh they showed enough for me to say that um ellison could beat parker zipper could beat kalinowski and i think that i think that this tournament's a tough one as you actually look at the the bracket itself i think that whoever beats Parker is going to win the whole tournament. Uh, when I filled out my bracket, I have Parker going to the finals and losing to Alex Damon. But if chance Ellison's able to get a win over him, I don't see why he couldn't win the whole thing. If Ben Goddard's able to get a win over him, I don't see why he could, couldn't win the whole thing. But, um, it's definitely interesting because it feels like there's a lot of stacked competition on that bottom half of the bracket as you're looking at it. Uh, obviously, Robert Parker, Chance Ellison, Eric Zipper, Mike Kalinowski. Those are some big names as far as the Intergeekdom division is concerned. And that's obviously not to discount uh, Alex Damon or, or Brandon Hanna, who are also big names, but... Uh, I don't know if maybe things were balanced as well. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess, I guess if, if an upset happens, then it's going to look like it was balanced. Great. Like if Robert Parker loses to Ben Goddard, then it, it's going to look perfect, you know, but, uh, as it stands right now, it feels, it sucks to say that we're only going to be down to two of, of the four that being Robert Parker, Chance Ellison, um, Eric Zipper, and Mike Kalinowski, that only two of the four of those uh, will be moving into the final four. That's, that seems crazy. And yet, here we are. Because honestly, in, a, in another universe, those four make up f- a final four of an Intergeekdom tournament. I really think that they do. But anyway, I think that, you know, 
Allison Zipper, they both looked looked really have looked really dominant in their two matches this week. So I'm excited to watch them continue playing because there's just some fire along with them that uh, I haven't. I just haven't been excited for those two competitors in a while, and I am now. On the flip side of things in this match, Paulo Yama didn't have necessarily the greatest showing, but I thought he did enough in this match. Um, Paulo Yama is the caliber of player that when he commits to studying for something, he's going to be a great in it. I, I just, you know, he's got that Ben Bateman level talent to him that allows him to reach that next level. He said that he wants to focus on singles and teams. That's where he's best um, served. But I think that if he ever decides to set foot back in the inner geekdom down the line, uh, he could really make a big run. So it, you know, the door's open for him. You know, sometimes you lose or you win by losing. And, uh, I think that's the case here because not that I, I don't think anybody doubted that that Oyama was going to be a, a, a good inner geekdom competitor, but he loses here to Chance Ellison. He opens the door to say, hey, with a little bit of work, I could be a great uh, inner geekdom competitor. And then you're looking at another potential triple threat, which, you know, is big, especially as we're heading into the end of this season, looking towards next season as teams decide which players they're going to keep, which players they're going to uh you know, go after in that, that pre-draft free agency, making the case for yourself as a triple threat and a triple threat that, uh, could win the title down the line is, is really key to getting yourself on the team you want to be on and not, uh, just on a random team out of the draft. So now as we look at the standings, Finstock Exchange still out on top. They're nine and three this season with the win uh, from Andrew Dimolanta. On the flip side, following them behind is Swag with only 16 points, but they're leaving a lot of points on the board because Oyama and Hlavik being out of the tournament in the first round uh, means that they're getting nothing from the Inner Geekdom tournament. And the same problem the usual suspects are going are having, except Swag had a lot more success at the beginning of the year, um, which prevents this from being uh, a major problem for them. But Swag uh, has definitely got to hope that uh, nobody else makes a major run because the the teams that are going to make a major run, whether you're talking about corruption or you're talking about um, the dungeon, the teams that are poised to make major runs in the inner geekdom tournament are some of the ones that are at the bottom of the standings. So swag might be in a good enough spot right now where they're not going to be too far behind at the end of this inner geekdom tournament, despite being knocked out. Nevertheless, they definitely need ACE to step it up big this week. If he's able to get a win, then, you know, that just keeps them ahead. It keeps them ahead. Especially as we're moving into this week, I alluded to it earlier, but I predict one of the three matches is going to be an upset, whether that's Alba and the Mercs getting a win, whether that's uh, Ace and Swag getting a win, whether that is Ben Goddard and the Den getting a win. I think one of those three 
has a high probability of happening. And obviously corruption is in a good spot right now because if Laura Kelly's the favorite, so she's assumed to win, that earns them points to continue moving up the board. You know, Mike Kalinowski, obviously, assuming that those aren't KOs, but like let's just assume those are regular wins, they jump up to the top um, just behind the den, which is huge. You know, the dungeon, if they're able to get a win out of Robert Parker, they jump up to uh, just above that that middle pack. Just to, So all of those wins are really important. Everybody who's got a match this week has, has an important match. But what's key here is that I think that an upset... Um, has the potential to happen. And I think that it, it could have major ramifications for the league. If Ben Goddard upsets Robert Parker, not only does that propel the den into second place, but it severely limits the potential points uh, to be gained by the dungeon. Because if Robert Parker's out in round one, and then Eric Zipper loses to Mike Kalinowski, those are a lot of, of points that the dungeon was expecting to gain in the tournament that they're unable to get. That's almost a surefire way of saying that they're, they're, they're done this season. The usual suspects are in a rough place right now because they're also knocked out of the tournament. They're knocked out of both tournaments with Molly Davin's loss. Um, but they've got some big name singles matches coming up. Andrew Guy has aligned to the title. Ethan Irwin has aligned to the title. And obviously there's the singles and teams tournaments coming up. So they're not in the best place, but they're in a good place going forward. And anything can happen. It's anybody's league. Don't don't let anybody tell you that the Finstock Exchange is running away with this because they definitely aren't. So that's going to do it for the show this week. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, be sure to check us out on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at RTQ Podcast. Another big thing we launched yesterday, rtqpodcast.com is available now. It's a live website. Go there for your latest Schmodown news, latest articles on the Schmodown, all of your stats, all of your uh, match updates. Just about everything you can think of pertaining to the Schmodown will be there. It's going to be your one-stop shop for everything related to the world of the Schmodown, just like this show is. And obviously, be sure to tune in to the show every week on Wednesday. Be sure to listen on Anchor. Be sure to listen on Spotify. The uh, Thanks to Anchor, we're on all podcasting platforms. So if audio only is your way to go, then you have that option. But also... Be sure to watch the show on YouTube because you're only getting about half the show if you're audio only. So be sure to tune in on YouTube to get the whole episode. So that's going to do it for us this week. Please, please check out rtqpodcast.com as with our first launch this week. Uh, But at any rate, thank you for tuning in and so long.